Blog Talk Radio. and the nature of who we are in relationship to reality. 
And what I've discovered over the years as a, as a teacher, as a writer, people emailing me and communicating with me in various ways, is that um, for the most part, and I don't think anybody is um, free of this, but we all have it to some degree, is that we um, get these ideas in our head. They're kind of a little bit like thought viruses. We pick them up from the world around us. And we then start um, speaking them pretty much they're cliches because we don't really stop to think about whether or not they make sense or whether or not they could be true. And so over the years, I have made notes of, of these um, cliches or blind spots, cognitive blind spots, um, and have accumulated them. Um, and then about a year or so ago, I decided, why don't I put them together and, and make a book out of it? And so... That's the, the genesis of um, this new book, Blind Spots, 21 Good Reasons to Think Before You Talk. So I picked 21, and there are plenty of others, so who knows, there might be a blind spots too in, in the yes. making. Yes. So, so basically people, you know, have, they have, we have these ideas, and, and we all speak them, but we don't really stop to think about them. And so that, that's what this book is about, it's saying, hold on a minute, um, think about this, and, and, and let's see if it really makes sense. And then I point out that most of these, in fact, all of these blind spots, when we look at them closely enough, don't fold together. They don't make sense. Yes. There, there's something in the introduction of your book that really got me, Christian, because I think that we have experienced this. Every one of us has experienced this, is when there's something that you say or often you can be agreeing to something or, you know, just passing it around, and deep down your gut just screams, no, and you say that in capital letters, no. And, you know, I can use a really good example from my past, the notion of hell, because I came from a fundamentalist evangelical past. I was raised that way anyway, but from the very beginning it was no, no, no. And I think that a lot of people feel that way, but they're afraid to say it, and yet so they'll just you know, talk about. And I and and so that to me is a real wake up call when you have something that you're saying and yet in your in the deepest parts of your being it's just no, no, it doesn't feel right. Yeah, um and, and that's to a large extent that's due to what we might call peer pressure is that, you know, we belong to a community and if if this particular cliche, this particular blind spot is just taken for granted among our friends, among the community of people we hang out with, who are important to us. And yeah. if we don't feel it's right, we tend not to speak up. Now, what I'm encouraging yeah. people to do is to speak up, but uh, not in a way that, that necessarily challenges or confronts people, but have a conversation yeah. about it and say, you know, have you really thought about whether or not such and such is true? And, of course, we, yeah. we have some time in this interview to go into some of the specifics of that right now. We're just yes. talking in yes. generalization. But I think yes. that's why that one of the reasons they stay in place is because of this sense of peer pressure. Yes. Yes, I, I, I feel it, too. And I'll be honest, as a radio host here, there are times when I want to question some things. And often I will gently question. I'll say, well, what about this? And yet, you know, you don't want to have a debate necessarily with with the guest. Now, today, it, it's it's pretty much um, free form. I think we'll engage with this material. I, I don't know if we'll have a debate or not, but I hope I ask honest questions because um, I think that you are exploring some things that are really important. So, 
um, I, I, why don't we do our best to address as many of these questions as we can. We obviously can't address them at the depth of your book, but I think that the audience and I will very greatly benefit from this just to, as you say, get a concrete example. Um, actually, you know what? I am going to jump to a question because we probably won't be able to get to all of them, but there's a big one that has been bothering me. And I think I know that all of the audience has engaged with this one um, to some degree. So if you don't mind, I'm going to jump to we create our own reality. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. Because yeah. that is a big one. Um, and I want to get your your take on that. What are we not reflecting? What do we need to reflect upon with that question, Christian? Yeah, sure. That's a, quite right. It's a very common one. Um, so essentially, um, as I write in the book, the, the first response to, to um, the idea that we create our own reality is to then ask, well, if that's true, how come we don't always get what we want? So that's just a, kind of almost a rhetorical question. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the, the, the you know critiquing the, the, the idea is that... Um, you create your own reality or I create my own reality. If that were true, if you actually created your reality, your own reality, and I had my own reality, then we could never communicate. If you lived in your reality and I lived in my reality and there wasn't any overlap, there wasn't any shared reality between us, then we could never communicate. And clearly we do communicate with each other. So the idea of you having your reality and I having my reality just makes no sense because there'd be no way to to ever exchange information from one reality to the other. So the idea of our own... Yes, go ahead. Well, I want to ask you a question right there. I've actually had this discussion with a friend of mine um, about this who told me, and I want you to respond to this, that we actually do create our own realities that, you know, there are multiple universes, essentially, that they're like parallel realities and that I am projecting what I project. This other person is projecting what that person projects. I do tend to agree with you, then, how how are we communicating? And I would have to say, in that view of reality, communication is an illusion, um, because you you only think you're communicating with someone, you're just communicating with some projection of you. And and this is an honest belief that someone I know has that that we really are projecting our own reality. So so if I'm, for example, a believer in you know take what I I grew up with the end times, I believe in that. And maybe groups project realities. Then, then you're going to live in that world. That world will will come to be for you because it's all an illusion, everything. So I want right at the start, this is going to, this is going to jump pretty deep, pretty fast, because that is what I have been told. And that then means communication and relationships are an illusion. So then why are we having this interview? From that point of view, which, by the way, I have a hard time accepting, <laughs> um, and I'm, I don't want to take away someone's belief. You talk about that in your book, too. If someone believes in yeah. that, that's great, but for me, that's a cold reality. It, it just feels, 
it's like being alone in the universe. It's like being the last man on earth. You know, all these stories that, that people write where someone's all mm-hmm. alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what it would feel like to me is you'd be yeah. all alone. So it's yeah. a lonely, cold reality to me to be alone. Um, so, so well, yeah, be, you yeah. know, yeah. To, uh, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't feel, but it is a response that I've heard that that each person is projecting a reality and it does go with the um the belief that we are essentially divine and creators and create whatever we want um in which case you could just be by yourself you know independently doing this so so yeah I just wanted to throw that out right at the beginning Okay, well, there are a couple of um, other issues that are bundled into to your response there um, that we can address uh, later on, but I do want to make sure we cover this first um, yes, issue, this going. first topic of we create our own reality. So the, you talked about what we believe, and we can look at the nature of belief later on as well. That's another major blind spot people have about the potency of beliefs. But um, your friend, um, uh, your friend, or the person who said to you to try to explain how it's possible that we create our own reality, um, she or he said that we project. So, um, unfortunately, we don't have that person on the line with us to have the conversation. And yeah, it would be interesting. How much do <laughs> you know of that person's um, um, understanding. But my question would be, what does is it? Was it a he or a she? By the way, it, it's 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 a he. It's a he. he. Um, who's okay. not so, available so, to call? <laughs> so what I would ask him immediately then is, what does he mean by project? What uh-huh. is being projected, and how is it being projected? Yeah. So that you know, without an answer to that question, we can't really go down that rabbit hole. Um, but what I suspect, because I've heard similar responses from other people, is that what he's uh-huh. confusing is his um, filter, his lens, through which he experiences reality, and then um, he projects psychologically. But that's very different from reality. Reality is more than our psychological experience of it. Reality is there whether or not we happen to experience it. Reality existed long before you did or I did or he did. Long before any humans existed, there was reality. So clearly, I'm getting back to these, uh, the other major um, blind spot within that, that cliche, is first of all, that we can't have our own realities because then we could never communicate. We would each be living in our own little bubble universe. And clearly that's not the case. We do communicate. But the other thing is that we, and the only reason we communicate is because we live in a shared reality. So, um, so really, instead of saying, I create my own reality or you create your reality, the accurate statement is that each of us participates in co-creating shared reality. Yes. So yes, there is a creative component, but it's not that I create reality or you create reality because reality actually created us. So how could we create what in fact created us? That's the, that's the blind spot. See, reality has existed forever, in fact, but in this particular universe for nearly 14 billion years, and humans have been around for less than 2 million years, give or take. So clearly, for billions of years, reality existed long before there any of us was there to create anything. So the idea that we created reality just falls apart when we think of it, when we stop to really think about what we're saying. 
So um, the way around that is, as I've just said, is to then rephrase it a little bit more nuanced and say each of us participates in co-creating shared reality, quite different from saying I create my own reality or you create your own reality. Um, there are a couple things that, that I feel, um, having having talked with so many people and having also the view um, that we are inseparable from the divine, which is my own personal belief, of course, then you have to define that, is that, you know, what do you mean by we because if if you really are um, a participant in the divine, which is eternal, then then you could potentially create reality. In fact, you you certainly would be. It's just that can you be a many and a one? This gets really really deep fast. I know, um, and and yeah. your, your book is very deep too. And my friend would say much the same from his perspective, that he is a believer that we are divinely inseparable, essentially, from the divine. So his view of how he's creating reality is that he's not just projecting or experiencing it. He's creating it because he's part of God. And whereas you can also view that as a co-created. What I like about what you propose is, and I've thought about this too, it's like like in books that talk about I create my own path, you don't think about how is your path into impacting everybody else, you know. I, I might, mm. uh, and, and that can be a very selfish way of looking. You have to think about what is our shared, what is our shared co-creation. I mean, even if you don't, buy into being divinely um, inseparable, I think it's an important point that you raise, Christian, that that we are sharing in co-creation, and that's highly important, and that's why we don't each always get what we want, because we are together creating um, what we're creating. Yeah, yeah. I refer to that as um, the, the cosmic democracy, um, I tend uh-huh. to not use the word God because it has so much baggage. And yeah. I prefer to use the more neutral term, the creative ultimate. In other words, the creative ultimate. The ultimate is a creative potency. And so I refer to the creative ultimate. Now, by the cosmic democracy, what I mean is that the universe is just teeming with sentient beings, not just humans, but all animals, um, all, all sentient organisms, and, and in yeah. my particular yeah. view, that goes all the way down to so that includes single cells, molecules, atoms, and so on. So the world yeah. is teeming with sentient beings, and at every moment, each sentient being um, is experiencing different possibilities and different options, and is, a making, is making a choice. In quantum yeah. physics, this is called the collapse of the quantum wave function. So each of us is making a choice at every moment, so we all get to vote in what and how the universe, how reality is going to turn out in the very next moment. We each get to vote in the cosmic democracy, but none of us gets to decide individually what the outcome will be. Yeah. So we don't get to we don't get to choose how reality is going to be in the next moment, but we do get to vote on it. And the way reality is going to show up in the next moment will depend on the the balance of all the votes that come in at every moment from all the other sentient beings throughout the cosmos. That's 
you know, in, in that sense, yes, we do have a creative spark and we can contrib- contribute to that, but only to the degree that our vote aligns with the majority of all the other votes in the cosmic democracy will um, it come to pass that what we voted for is actually going to be part of the outcome of the very next moment or in the future. Yes, yes. That's actually a really beautiful way of understanding the many folding into one as well, in a way. Um, um, well, from my perspective, exactly. listening to this, it, it's, sure. it, it, it gives every being um, a, a free, an ability to determine their, their own choices, I guess, is the interesting, mm-hmm. even while being one with the many. <laughs> Even if you don't believe well, exactly. in the divine. Well, exactly. There is no inherent conflict. It's not a question of either yeah. one or many. It is both. Right. But it's not only both. My favorite philosopher is the British uh, metaphysician, Alfred North Whitehead. And uh-huh. he adopts a view that makes a lot of sense to me. He basically says the world is not made of substances. That's a very old and incoherent idea. The world is made of processes. Everything is changing. Everything is in process. Yeah. And yeah. so for for him, um, the, the relationship between the one and the many is a process. He says that the many are constantly collapsing into the one, and each time it does that, it creates, it adds one more to the many. And so the many is constantly growing and evolving. And so there's this kind of leapfrog dance between the many becoming the one and then increasing the many by one, which then collapses again, and so on and so on and so on. The term for that is the created advance, and the reality is constantly growing depending on the experiences and choices made by all the sentient beings throughout the universe. What that means in the language of religion is that each of us is crucial to the existence of God just as the existence of God is crucial to us. In in other words, God depends on us as much as we depend on God, to use the language of God. And so God is constantly evolving and yes. we are contributing to the evolution of the divine. Yes, yes, I am in total alignment with that. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I that would, I mean, again, just just personally, again, we're talking about my own belief, but I, my beliefs would totally align. I, I feel that that um, often we limit the concept of God or the divine or however you want to describe it. There is no term because yeah. it always attaches a bias but um, that it only makes sense to me that God, however you want to define it, is evolving and through us mm-hmm. and through everything, and that that would be yeah. the omnipresence of, of the divine everywhere or the higher consciousness. Now, yeah. I think this leads really well into another question. Obviously, we're not going to be able to address them all, but I love the way this is flowing. It's about time. Is you know uh-huh. We have many notions of time, um, and you really discuss some things. A lot of us, you know, what is the now? Is there only the now? Is time an illusion? What is the future? What is the past? What is eternal mm-hmm. time when we talk about that? So so please, let's um, explore time from the standpoint of what you've done in your book. Well, sure. I mean, another a very, very common cliche, um, probably at least as common as we create our own reality, is the cliche, that time is an illusion. Well, um, I, I point out to people, if, if that's the case, then how come anything ever happens? If time is an illusion, 
then nothing could ever happen. But clearly things are happening all the time. So, um, first of all, let's define what time is. Time is yeah. the difference between events that have happened, the past, events that are happening right now, the present, and events that have yet to happen, the future. So when we recognize that, we realize a number of things. Is first, that time has these three components to it, and that time is there for a process. It's the process of events happening now, completing themselves, and then becoming part of the past, and each present moment has, is, has a bunch of probabilities or possibilities available to it. It has potentials, and from those potentials, the future then emerges. But the future doesn't actually exist, not yet. And, if it did, and there's another aspect to this. People talk about um, getting information from the future, um, and of course that cannot be accurate because the future by definition doesn't yet exist. Um, the future is events that have yet to happen. So we cannot get information from something that doesn't exist. We cannot get information from the future. What we can do, um, so when people talk about precognition, I'm not denying the, um, the evidence for, the, uh, for the, uh, the notion of precognition that people can have knowledge of what's going to happen in the future. But what I'm saying is the not getting that knowledge from the future, what's happening is that they that, that such sensitive people are in a particular state of consciousness that they are sensitive to the unfolding quantum probabilities right now in the present moment, and so they are feeling the unfolding of the universe from the quantum level and and sensing the probabilities, and that gives them an intuition of what is likely to happen sometime in the future. But it's not getting information from the future. It's getting information from the deep present, from the quantum probabilities unfolding right now in the current moment. So that's something to keep in mind. So when, people, when I say time is very, very real, um, uh, I've had people say to me that, well, hold on a minute. Um, I've been in my meditation. I've experienced timelessness. And I say, okay. Then I ask, how long did it last? And usually the penny drops, they get the point. Oh, the experience of timelessness actually occurred in time. That it, it happened, it, can, it, it lasted for a while, and then it was over. Clearly, if somebody is reporting to me that they had an experience of timelessness, then that experience came to an end because now they're reporting to me something that happened in the past. So the experience of timelessness um, raises another distinction that we need to be aware of. It's the distinction between um, what's called ontological time, which is time that exists in the cosmos, in the universe, and the psychological time, our experience, our awareness of the passage of time. So yes, definitely there are states of consciousness when we can become unaware that time is, is passing, that time is moving from the present to the past and then from there into the future. We can be unaware of that. But just because we are unaware of the passage of time doesn't mean time has come to a standstill. Clearly it hasn't because people who experience that sense of timelessness um, wake up from that and return back into the flow of awareness of the passage of time. So we need to make a distinction and not confuse psychological time with ontological time. And that's a, a distinction that people very frequently overlook. 
I think that that um, this has come up a lot, and actually I've said this one. Um, and when I say time is an illusion, Christian, or mm-hmm. I I say time, our understanding of time isn't what we think it is. What I think of is as an incarnated being in this physical reality or whatever this reality is, um, there is a construct of time. And that time does have linear qualities to it, although we're learning things about time as we study um, you know, certain quantum theories that, that are you know, really surprising us. But I guess um, the, the question that, that I know my audience would probably be wanting to ask, and, and I, I want to ask, it's just kind of making a distinction between as human beings navigating the world, yes, there is time. But at some higher level, time isn't anything like like we think it is. And the other thing that I like about your response is the, the probability aspect in that I believe more and more this notion of timelines comes up as to what is the most um, probable timeline. You know, are there parallel universes, parallel realities. My friend who will use this, I'm, I'm sure he he won't mind, he, part of his theory includes timelines that, that you know, he's on a particular timeline that, that is custom to his creation. Um, and, and, you know, there are as many of those as can exist. You know, they're infinite. So, so this is such a deep topic. And, you know, what is illusion? Or is it just, you know, our perception of time as human beings is a certain way. Talk about perception. And then there's this higher reality that is timeless and maybe encompasses every possible time, everything that could ever exist completely, ever evolving. It's it's a mystery because it never ends. It keeps unfolding. Well, if it keeps unfolding, then it can't be timeless. For something to unfold requires time. It's a process, and that requires time. So here's another um, blind spot that people uh, often are unaware of. Uh-huh. Is, um, th- they tend to equate eternity and timelessness. They are exact opposites. Eternity is time without end. It, it's time that never comes to an end. Timelessness is the complete absence of time. So eternity is time full and timelessness is time empty. So we need to be really careful in not confusing the idea of eternity and timelessness. So while there may be a state of eternity, there clearly cannot be a state of timelessness. If timelessness ever existed, then time could never come into being. You can't get time from true timelessness. You can't get something from nothing, which is the very first line spot I explore in this book. So, um, and to go back to a phrase that you used a moment ago, I'd just like to... um, have a yeah. little conversation about that. You talked about time being a construct. Who yes. constructed it? Well, again, that's, like, that's part of our mm-hmm. created, you know, when we, the notion is that when we created the human experience, this assumes that, be, you know, again, you know, I'm going to use the term before. It, okay, I think we better stop for a minute because one of the things that, that I find challenging with these kinds of, not discussion, but just thinking about this, getting my my head around these things, Mm -hmm. is the notion of paradox. And you talk about paradox. Is that, is it possible for, 
it's hard to grasp these things completely. Um, as I'm incarnated as a human being, there is a notion of unfolding time. Is there a possible reality that is all time that could ever possibly be? All time. Not timelessness, although it becomes like timelessness, but just every possibility of time ever. Um, well, that's and, called, yeah, and technically that's called block time. It's the idea that that the entire past, the entire present, and the entire future are all available right now. That's called block time. Um, but I could it be paradoxical? That that yeah, and still, still be infinite. <laughs> that's the hard thing. I mean, these are such big, big questions. Uh, because yes, well, time is infinite. Time does not come to an end. Time is infinite. Uh-huh. So, so I, I don't see the paradox there. What, which, what's the paradox you're referring to? Well, I guess the sense that if you believe the divine or or the higher consciousness is continually evolving, continually unfolding, then yeah. there is a notion of, obviously, forward progress in that, you know, what is unfolding, like you say. Sure. However, if you also believe, and this I use that term believe very deliberately, because I can't prove any of this, I can just get my, just think about these things, um, if you also believe that the nature of whatever this greater consciousness is is so vast that it could somehow encompass anything that could ever be possible, including its entire infinite unfolding, which sounds totally paradoxical, but it's, you know, if I elevate it that high, because that's the question, too. How high do you want to elevate this thing? Can it do anything? Can it do anything? Maybe that's right at the the foundation of all of these questions. Because if I start limiting it and say, well, it can't encompass whatever's to unfold, you know, then I just limited this notion. And then we're we're now asking, what is God? Or what is this higher thing that we may not want to label? Um, do you see do you see what I'm getting at there? It becomes it becomes mysterious and yet you want to understand it. It's not something we want to elude. Um, and so, I guess that that's the that that's the question: is that is there something so high, so all knowing? Let's use that term, um, omniscience, that it could possibly know its entire infinite unfolding beyond time. And if not, then well, we've just limited whatever that is. Yeah, well, it's quite possible that there is some limitation to the creative ultimate. I mean, that's another mm-hmm. possibility we we need to entertain. That yeah. um, there are there are many philosophers out there who point out that the idea of the of God as the creative ultimate, the divine being both omniscient and om- omnipotent, so all knowing and all powerful, um, are contradictory. You cannot have a, a creator that is both all knowing and all powerful. Uh, and and omnipresent. Um, so I'm not going to go into the details of that right yeah. now. But essentially, um, if if uh, if the, the the ultimate, the creative ultimate, was able to know everything, that would include everything that's going to happen. But yeah. that cannot be the case if there are if there are sentient beings in the universe who are making choices. If a choice is truly a choice and not something determined then it's a creative act. 
And so what's happening when a choice is made is that the, the being, the entity that's making the choice, is aware of current possibilities and probabilities and is choosing one of those, selecting one of those, and if you to use the language of quantum physics, collapsing that into the next. And that next moment is entirely unpredictable. And so because it's unpredictable, whether you're a human being or, the, or a divine being, if it's truly choice and truly unpredictable, you cannot know how it's going to unfold. And when you multiply that by gazillions of sentient beings throughout the cosmos making choices, at every moment, the idea that there could be any being that is able to know in advance what all of these gazillions of little beings are going to choose makes nonsense of the notion of choice. And so it's not, uh, it doesn't make sense to think of the, the divine being able to know every particular future outcome. Now, what's very likely is that the divine could have a, the, the ultimate deep, um, excuse me, um, Looks like I've got a call from here. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. Excuse me. Yes. Um, so I lost my track there. So, no, so yes, that's the, all right. The, the Actually, can I can I ask a question? Yeah. Um, that'll help sure, us get back. <laughs> mm-hmm. It comes back to this notion of timelines. I mean, this is such an important area because I feel like many uh-huh. many of us are reflecting on this. Is is it possible to know and could every possible choice that I know it's mind-boggling. I mean, it's infinitely uh-huh, mind-boggling. Uh-huh. It's huge. I mean, I, I have yes. a degree in math. Statistically, it's huge. How could every possible choice that anyone could ever make, anyone, and all the anyones that could ever exist, all the anyones who could ever exist, whatever mm-hmm. an anyone is, make every possible choice and every repercussion of those choices, including how it impacts mm-hmm. everybody else, exist mm-hmm. and be known in some way with a capital K, because that's <laughs> what it would have to be. It would have to be non-determinist. It would not be on one timeline. It would have to be every possible thing. And that means, you, I mean, it is. It's mind-boggling. It's every possible way that someone could make a choice, and then, you know, I make a choice to ask you this question, and then you mm-hmm. respond and in some other timeline. I didn't ask this question, you know, that that has to be encompassed, too. Mm-hmm. And another one we never met, and another one I don't have a show, or, you know, I'm still working as a computer scientist. You know, I mean, it can go on and on and on. And so that's the question, is with the capital K known, you know, every possible choice everywhere that could ever be made. And, you know, I guess it does come to be is there meaning to that? You know, what does that mean? Does it does it even matter to? Well, I guess it matters because we want to think about it. I mean, it, 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 could it be that grand? Well, lots of things there. First of all, I'm, I'm not a fan of this multiple universes idea. Okay. Um, and I yeah. Say why, say why in the moment? Um, yeah. But um, but but if they, even if they did exist. But the, uh-huh. part of the whole idea of multiple parallel universes is that they are parallel and they are not intersecting. So again, we're having another aspect of we create our own reality. If there are parallel universes, then by definition, there's no way for one universe or one being in one universe to know what's going on in a parallel universe. So there is no way of these parallel universes sharing information. 
um, if, if they truly are parallel no, you universes. Couldn't, you couldn't share from one to the other. So, so yeah, you know, maybe we've collapsed mm-hmm. it back to that that colder mm-hmm. view of being really alone on your own path. I although I I I'd like to believe well, there's a way. It, it's a perplexing question. These are these are not easy questions. Well, Some of them feel quite harsh. <laughs> I mean, well, they're not they're not that easy, but, but but we can make it easier by by thinking more clearly about about the about the ideas and the words that we're using. Yeah, and that's why so, we're talking. We're demonstrating. Yeah. It. So so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I'll let you. So let me go back, back to say why I'm. Yeah, why why I'm uh, I'm not a fan of the multiple universes, the parallel uh-huh. universes idea. It was called multiple worlds theory. Uh-huh. Um, that really came out of um, out of uh, quantum physics. So, yes. in in the standard version of quantum physics, they recognize that the only time a quantum event can happen is if it's observed. If there's an observer part of the quantum system, and an observer necessarily implies a conscious observer. Otherwise, the notion of observation makes no sense. So, basically, what that means is that consciousness is required for the quantum probabilities to collapse into an actuality. And if, if there isn't an observer, then all that happens is that, in fact, nothing happens, but everything yeah. remains in the domain of potentiality. So you need an observer. You need consciousness to move from the domain of the unmanifest potential into, into the domain of manifest actuality. Yeah. So, um, get, so that's... That's what happens. Now, what that means is that um, you have to acknowledge the reality of consciousness as part of the quantum science. Now, notoriously, most scientists are materialists, and they feel uncomfortable with the notion of consciousness uh, for, for many reasons. They have no idea how to handle it, what to deal with, how to deal with it. And, and so the idea that consciousness needed to be included in the quantum wave function um, Many scientists felt uncomfortable with that. So some theorists tried to avoid including consciousness as part of the cosmos. And so instead of that, instead of saying that consciousness collapses the quantum wave function, they said there never is a collapse, that every possibility that ever could exist at any moment gets actualized in some parallel multiple universe. Yes. And so the whole idea of having multiple universes is a way of avoiding the reality of consciousness. And um, I'm not a fan of anybody who tries to avoid the reality of consciousness because obviously yeah. that's a, a contradiction. Every, yeah. Everyone who decides to do something necessarily has consciousness. So that's, that's one reason um, I'm uncomfortable with the whole idea uh, of the multiple universes, the parallel universes idea, is that at root it's the denial of the, the potency and significance in the cosmos, consciousness. But the other is, as you were intimating, is that um, if we allow for the fact that at every single moment, every sentient being that exists is experiencing multiple possibilities, and every single one of those possibilities gets actualized in its own independent parallel universe, the uh, as a mathematician, you can see how that is uh, asymptotically it's approaching it's, it's, it's in, infinity. It's an infinity. It's an infinity of infinities at every yes, single moment. Yes, it's almost and, it's and impossible to conceptualize. Yes, mm-hmm. it is impossible it's to conceptualize, and it just <laughs> it just it um it's like the the whole idea of the Ptolemaic epicycles back in the days before they 
people realize that the earth that the sun is at the center of the solar system. Um, before that, they have this epicycles upon epicycles upon epicycles trying to explain the movements of the planet. It was very, very complicated, uh, but nothing as complicated as of this, what I think is this ridiculous notion of parallel universes and multiple yeah. worlds. So I'm much well, prepared to go for the more simplistic and more accurate idea is that, no, let's recognize the reality of consciousness and that consciousness mm-hmm. does play a part in the unfolding of reality for moment to moment. And if we do that, then we don't need to have this notion of multiple universes. Yes. Yes, you know, bringing this home to an important point that you make in your book, Christian, is part of this really has to do with how do we interact in the world and unfold our lives. And I will tell you, the notion of timelines and parallel universes, especially if we can be jumping between them based on our intent, um, is a very uncomfortable one for me in the sense that it really puts you, it's, it it places you in a very challenging situation um, because at any moment you could jump to some very dark reality. I mean, if anything could exist, it could be very dark. And to me that contradicts what my fundamental, and you talk about experience, you know, my experience of, um, you know, the love and compassion that exists, although some might call that, you know, illogical, (laughs) In, in that harsh things do happen in this world. But um, mm-hmm. I, I have, even though I can conceptualize the idea, it it's an uncomfortable idea for me, almost um, it, 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 it's somewhat like hell, because there could be hell-like reality. So, so it, it's not an easy thing to understand. Um, and I guess... You know, bringing this, I, I swear I could talk to you for seven hours at least. <laughs> the show was going on that long. Um, but, you know, how can Christian better understanding what we believe and also understanding the nature of experience, you know, experiencing what we do in our reality, how we perceive reality, you know, how is this helping us in the world, you know, navigate as more effectively as human beings you know let's let's bring it bring it to that place as well these questions these blind spots if we can get beyond them you know what does that then help us with well i think it helps us um in 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 a very fundamental way is that a blind spot is essentially a distortion of our understanding or perception of reality and so distortions if we have a, a, a distorted understanding or perception of reality then we're likely to get into trouble. So having a more clear and accurate understanding and perception of reality is going to serve us in, in all kinds of um, all kinds of ways that we might not anticipate. But obviously it makes sense for us to align ourselves with reality as it is, not as the distorted reality that we might uh, wish for um, based on our belief system. So we need to, um, I think, get, get beyond the, the notion of relying on our beliefs as as good guides to what's going on in reality. In in most of my work, uh, in my books and, and, and courses that I teach, I critique the whole idea of beliefs. And I think that when people live their lives according to their beliefs, they're living lives that basically guarantee that they're living in a distorted reality, that beliefs 
don't represent reality. They represent our wishful thinking of reality, or else they represent some abstractions of reality that no longer exist. Let me just very briefly explain what I mean by that. Is that at every moment, every single one of us, and by us I always mean all sentient beings, not just humans, of course, that at every moment, every sentient being is having an experience. And we don't have to do anything about that. It happens just automatically and naturally. It's part of the package of being a being, of existing, as that experience has happened. So we have experiences at every moment. But every moment, as we know, lasts just a moment, and then it's over, and then moves on to the next moment. So an experience is happening now, and happening now, and happening now. So there's this ongoing flow of moments of experience. Now what happens is that as soon as we have an experience, we have these, these minds, these egoic minds, that automatically and almost instantaneously interpret the experience. In other words, we have a thought about the experience. Now, a thought is an abstraction. A thought is like a, a freeze-framing that moment. It's taking a snapshot of the of reality of experience in that moment. And so it, the shutter clicks and we have the snapshot of reality. That's our thought. But meanwhile reality continues to flow and experience continues to flow from moment to moment to moment. But we get so wrapped up in paying attention to our thoughts, these snapshots, that are always of some moments in the past, not the moment of reality or experience that's happening right now because it's moved on from where the, the, the moment of reality where we took that snapshot. So all our thoughts are always rooted in the past. They're, all, they're never about reality as it is right now. They're always about reality as it was a moment ago or a day ago or a week ago or a lifetime ago. So our thoughts are always rooted in the past. Our beliefs are then constructed from our thoughts. We then hook these thoughts together and form them into beliefs. And that also happens pretty automatically and pretty naturally. And so the degree to which every thought is a distortion of reality is abstracted from reality um, even more so than our beliefs. And our belief systems are distortions of reality because they don't, they don't hook us into the moment of experience that's happening. And I often say to my students, when does experience of consciousness happen? And obviously they say, right now, in this very moment. Then I say, when does reality happen? Well, reality also happens right now. So what a wonderful coincidence that consciousness or experience and reality coincide right now in this moment. That's wonderful. What that means is the best way, in fact, the only way to know reality is by paying attention to our embodied experience as happening right now. But most people have been trained and conditioned by our educational system and by modern Western civilization in particular to pay attention not to our experience in the moment, our embodied experience, but to our thoughts, to the abstractions that actually take us away from reality, that take us away from our experience. And so um, that gets us into all kinds of troubles, as we can see, if we just pay attention to any of the news media from day to day. So yeah. if we're operating and living in the world according to our beliefs, um, I think it is a dangerous proposition. It really doesn't serve us too well. Rather than negotiating our way through the world by paying attention to our beliefs, I encourage us to... Let go of our beliefs. I don't say stop having them. Just notice we have them, but don't believe your beliefs to be true. We probably can't help having beliefs, but we do have a choice about whether or not we believe our beliefs to be true. 
rather, and that's called dogma. When we believe our beliefs are true, that's just being dogmatic. So rather than getting caught in dogma and belief and thought, I'm saying let's cultivate experience beyond the belief. And what I mean by that is for us to cultivate awareness, and of course this is what most psychospiritual practices are about, is cultivating awareness of what's happening right now in our experience, in our bodies, embodied experience right now in this present moment. That's called experience beyond belief. We don't need to relate to the world according to our beliefs. In some of the courses that I teach, I say to my students on the first day of class, I would like you for the rest of this, the 11 weeks of this course to just let go of your beliefs. See what happens. Try it as an experiment. And usually, students feel, people just feel a little nervous about that because the ego is so attached to our beliefs and our belief system that if we let go of them, they think, well, who am I going to be? I'm going to evaporate. I'm going to disintegrate. I might even die. And I say, no, I can promise you, you won't die. But if you let go of your beliefs, what's likely to happen, you will experience a sense of liberation, a sense of enhanced creativity that you're longer being dragged down and using up all this energy trying to keep your beliefs in place and trying to shape reality according to your beliefs rather than allowing your experience to inform you how reality actually is in the present moment. Yes, yes, wow. Wow, a lot. Uh, that, that That's beautifully stated because I I sense that far too often we are given dogma in some way or another that, you know, even if this, you know, this is what you are to believe or, as you say, we have wishful thinking about something, but it doesn't, Mm -hmm. I guess what you're saying, and I know what some of the audience may be thinking, is that that undermines everything hopeful about the world because, however, what if your experience, and here's the thing with experience, is... A very wonderful thing. I mean, there can be, I would like to believe as a a, a rational spiritual person, I, I love putting those two together, that my mm-hmm. observations about the world and what I have experienced, including things like synchronicities, which we have, what, five minutes, so we probably aren't going to get into that too much. But, you know, these mysteries, and when I say, well, you know, Things that we observe, that it's informing how I choose to discover what's real, I guess would be the the way I would put it. Because for me, Mm -hmm. my understanding of real, to be realistic, is going to change as I grow Mm -hmm. and observe more things. So, And I feel like what you just said encompasses that. Because if I have some belief that says, hey, you know, you have got to observe this world in the end times, you know, the Christian end times, which is what I was brought up with. And that's just the way it is. Like it or not, that's the way. Well, then I have to fit everything to that. And a lot of things may, some things may fit and some things may not. And, you know, does that, but but what does it have to do with observing unfolding reality? So, so yes, I mean, I I, I really appreciate what, what you just said, and I hope the audience really, they might have to replay some of this. I know, I think I'm going to have to do this. This is the, the benefit of a podcast. We can listen to it more than once. I could, and I would recommend to the audience replay that last segment because it's really important to get that. I'm, I'm yeah. just 
So, so yes, unfortunate. Wow, I, I had a feeling this would be an interesting discussion, <laughs> and um, and it surely was. And and I appreciate you being here, engaging with me. As you can see, this is a discussion format, boy, is it ever, and it was today. And and I am very thankful that that you've been here talking with us today, Christian. And I want you to be able to tell people again where they can find your book and find out more about your work and this wisdom academy, which I find very it seems you're engaged in and and quite a quite a many things and very interesting to me. Mm, well thank you. And I've enjoyed our conversation. And um it has been very rich and very deep and the, the time went by really fast. Yes. Yeah. So people can um uh, they can get my my Current book, Blind Spots, 21 Good Reasons to Think Before You Talk, at Amazon or at your local bookstore. Um, I always encourage people to try their local bookstores first that keep the brick-and-mortar bookstores alive and well. Um, so but it can be got online or in, in the bookstore along with any of my other books. Um, they can find out about the, the Wisdom Academy uh, through my website, uh, which is my name, ChristianDeQuincy.com, and for those who um, don't go to your website and see the correct spelling of my name, it's important yeah. to spell DeQuincy with the E-Y at the end. Most yeah. people tend to leave out the E, so it's ChristianDeQuincy, Q-U-I-N-C-E-Y.com, and then that will um, give them information about the Wisdom Academy and other work that I'm doing. Yes. Well... Well, thank you so much, and and I really have enjoyed talking to you as well, and I appreciate that um, so much. That um, and and what a what an amazing! I'm really looking forward to exploring some of your other work to to help me to to better inter. I mean, we're all wanting to better understand our world. I mean, unless we want to be closed-minded, yeah. we we want to understand reality, and it it helps us. Um, we need this right now. Because no doubt, blind belief is is causing some some issues in the world right now, and and we need to to navigate reality by experiencing and observing what's really happening. So so thank you so yeah. much again, Christian. And I I would welcome you back sometime if you'd ever like to continue our discussion. Cause well, I've just recognized that I think we covered two of the 21 I blind know. spots. I know. Um, and so there's plenty more to discuss. And, and if, if you like, I'd like just to um, call out some of the other blind spots so that your um, listeners have a, a sense of some of the others that are included yeah, in the book. And actually, if you don't mind, I'll tell the live audience we're we're probably going to go slightly into overtime because we only have a minute mm-hmm. left in the live show. Yeah. If you want to hear mm-hmm. our continuing discussion, let me just tell them we won't go too long, yeah. but um, they can call three one zero eight zero seven five one zero four and join the teleconference line and listen, or just listen to the podcast when it's done. It'll be out there pretty quick. Um, but um, just and live audience, just go to frontierbeyondfear.com to find this broadcast and future shows. The whole schedule's there. So and thank you, live audience, for being here. So yes, Christian, go ahead. Tell tell us okay. some of the others. I think that's a good idea. Very good. So the, the first one, the, the one that opens the book, is um, it kind of sets the context. It's the cliche of the blind spots that. The universe exploded from nothing in a big bang. That's a standard scientific um, 
cliche and misunderstanding. So I'm not going to do any of this. I'll just name them. Yeah, yeah. We're the second is the one we we covered was we create our own reality. Um, another is uh, nobody knows what consciousness is. Uh, oh, we also covered time as an illusion. So there's we covered three. Um, some then say related to that, living in the now is just not practical. Another one, which is a critique of science, it says obviously brains create minds or brains create consciousness. That's um, another blind spot. Uh, and then a few more like everything is energy. That's another cliche I often hear. Um, and related to that, that healers use the energy of consciousness. And that's one of the significant chapters in my book about healing is that what people call energy healing uh, is more likely and accurately um, a form of intentional healing, not energy healing. Uh, related to that is the other blind spot, very common in modern science, is that everything is information. I take that one apart to show that that cannot be true. Um, uh, and another view is that everything is connected to everything else. Well, actually, I agree with that one, but basically, um, I asked the question, of course, there's really no other option. Of course, everything is connected to everything else. And I explain why that's so in the book. Then I come to what I call the mother of all blind spots, is the idea, the myth, that humans are special. That, to me, is the most dangerous, self-serving myth of all, and we need to really get rid of that idea. Um, yeah. We could have a whole conversation just on that alone. Um, then the next two is life is either divine creation or random evolution. And I say, no, it's, that's a false dichotomy, that there is a third option. Yeah. Um, then the next one is to do with choice and, 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 and fate. Uh, is everything, everything is determined by fate or physics. And so I explore um, those options. Another one is a very frequent um, cliche that we hear in the New Age and spirituality communities is, it's all in the mind. Okay, um, I say, well, if that's the case, then I see you walk through a brick wall and so on. Then um, there's the one I often hear that people say, well, quantum physics proves consciousness creates reality. Ah, well, then I'm not going to go into that right now because there's a whole conversation we can have about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, another, another one is everything is alive. And um, in that one, I, make the, I point out that people often confuse life with consciousness. And we need mm. to make a distinction between life and consciousness. Um, and then um, finally, um, God transcends his creation. And I point out that there are so many blind spots in that idea that uh, I've kept that one to the last in the book. Now, I haven't named all 21 uh, blind spots, but I've given the majority of them there. Yes. You can either go pick up the book or go to my website and get a summary of each of those. Yes, yes. And one you didn't list is everything is ruled by scientific laws because... You know, sometimes we yeah. can elevate science as well. Um, very good. Very, yeah. yeah, I'm glad you picked up yeah. on that. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I have to be careful not to engage with you on these. I just let you list them because <laughs> we would talk for seven hours. And, and I imagine, yeah. you know, um, you must – I'm sure your classes are have have amazing discussions as people engage with, with this material. So, um and certainly there have been discussions through the ages, and, and that's surely why you're a philosophy professor. <laughs> so um, I 
I am, again, very thankful to have you here today and and for engaging with me in, in such a lively conversation. So, um, And I do invite the listeners to, to check out your book. It really will help you to reflect upon. Um, it's not intended to force Christian's dogma on you either. There's nobody's doing that. It's, it's more there may be people kind of feeling like, oh, there's, you know, there's a dogma here. No, it's not about that. It's it's about really reflecting on what you truly observe in the oh, world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. one thing I, I, I like to emphasize is that I don't want anyone to believe a word that I say. Exactly. I don't want anyone to believe anything that I say. That's it. But I do want them to try to understand what I'm saying, but I don't yes. want them to believe. I want them to pay attention to what's happening in their own experience as they read these, whether they agree yes. or disagree. It's, it's not about what they believe or what I believe. It's about what's happening in your experience, what's happening in my experience. That's yes. what the world needs to pay more attention to. Yes, and yes, and then we can have such engaging discussions about that. I mean, what a wonderful yeah. world it becomes if we can meaningfully discuss our observations and reflections from that. Um, that that yeah. that's the kind of society that we could create that that would be alive, truthfully, if if we could have mm. those kinds of discussions. So so um, again. Um, and unfold our lives that way. So um, thank you again, and um, I, I've i really enjoyed this time talking. Thank you, Susan, and I appreciate the work that you're doing, and please keep it up, and I look forward to another conversation with you sometime. Yeah, I would, I would really, really welcome that, and I look forward to exploring more of your work. So um, one of these days, I swear I'll enroll in, in a philosophy program myself. I I have seriously considered that, but um, it just I I think that that philosophy. I know I'll keep going on, but but I think the audience. I'm beginning to realize, Christian, that there's a there is a lot to philosophy, and it's a it's a discipline that many have lost sight of in our educational mm-hmm. system. Um, even when you go to college, you don't necessarily explore it. And and if we could only bring it back to you know these deep reflections about our world, it it, it never leaves us. It's still here. It just emerges in different ways. But um, mm-hmm. we we need to engage more with this, with really reflecting on our world. So thank I agree. You. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks, Susan. You too. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed that audience. Wow, that was quite quite the conversation, and, and I certainly did. And I invite you to go to the schedule and check out what's coming up next. The next show is actually so completely different. And But again, you know, this is not about saying this is the way it is or that's the way it is. This is about... This show, when it's working, and I tell you, in the new year, I swear, this is exactly the template I want for this show, where we explore how we are observing reality. And I would love to bring people from ways of thinking onto this show so that we can have discussions like this. The next show is a fun one. Um, Sue Storm is coming coming up on Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific, and she's going to talk about angels. Um, she's written a number of books on angels. So we're going to be talking about that on Friday night, primetime show, 6 p.m. 
Pacific, and you can. That's a call-in show on Friday night where where you can talk with Sue. So and so, come to the FrontierBeyondFear.com website. Just FrontierBeyondFear.com. There are over five years of episodes, and I am really moving. I hope over the break I will start organizing these episodes so you can find them. We are getting so many researchers, some very deep thinkers on this show. I want to put them into categories or best I can. Categorization is another area that's challenging, but cross-referencing these things so you can find these shows because there is a lot out there. So thanks again, everyone. I'll see you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.